name is Brad. So glad to join you here this morning. We've already been with you out there with the pre-talk, which I love. I love hearing different voices reflected. And I've been invited to speak here this morning as part of a series you're in called We Have Questions. And yes, don't we all? We have lots of questions. And um, specifically, the title of my talk that I've left intentionally open-ended is where do we go from here? Or said another way, what do we do with all of our S-H-I-T? That stuff that, can I say that here? Uh, see, I, before, let me see. Before I get too far in here, let me, let me give you a little background on me. I, I've been both excited and nervous to be here, which I've learned through time and therapy that excitement and nervousness are often two sides of the same emotion, aren't they, right? Certain situations that kind of make you feel nervous also can excite you and vice versa. See, I've been excited to be here with you because I've been a fan from a distance for a while now. I've been loosely aware of your community for a long time. Um, as was mentioned, I, I knew of Kent. I've never actually met him. Um, but we traded some emails, and there were some weird just kind of like connections in the past um, that we had. And so I've been interested and excited to see what all of this is about. It, it's like encountering like a jackalope in the wild. Did you grow up, especially in Michigan, right? We've all seen the jackalope. Like, wouldn't that be cool if you actually saw one or Bigfoot? Uh, we spent some time out west uh, in our RV last winter, and so we were, we were in Bigfoot territory. We, w we went through Roswell, New Mexico. Man, there are some interesting people who believe some interesting things. You might be some of them. I don't know. Uh, but I've also been nervous because, as you can see from my bio, I'm a former pastor. Uh, I was introduced as a pastor. It's very, very important that that is in the past tense for me, okay? Uh, that represented a part of my past, and I'm still wrestling with that. Uh, my wife and I uh, grew up in a ministry environment. I'm going to tell you a little bit, just the highlights of our story. And it's a little bit, I don't know, it, it's kind of a bummer for me to go through. So I'm going to try to go through it and hit the highlights. And then I want to come around to a better place where we land because, you know, it's easy to look at the world, isn't it? And to just see all the crap that's going on out there and to feel just so discouraged. Um, but I, I think there's some good things in there, too, and I want to talk about that. But like I said, I, I'm kind of nervous because I've not been on a stage or speaking to a community. I, I, the only way I'm making this work in my head is I'm calling you a spiritual community because the, the C word gets thrown around a little bit. And when we talk about church, I kind of get these, like, nervous ticks. Even walking in this morning... When I saw the stage and the portability, uh, I pastored a church where we were portable for seven years. And so, like, it almost puts me into, like, you know, the corner rocking back and forth, sucking my thumb, just thinking about portability and setting up and tearing down. Um, all this is so strange to go through. I I'm also nervous, too, and I have a fair amount of trepidation because um, in the years since my, my deconstruction, um, it's been a weird place up here. Uh, so keep in mind, I have 20-plus years of Bible knowledge and training crammed up there, and theology and books and stuff I've read. So on the one hand, 
I have no idea what arcane, biblical, or theological reference is going to come out. On the other hand, since I've deconstructed, one piece of catharsis for me, and this may cloud the way you view me, but uh, one element of catharsis for someone who is raised in a high-control religion is that I've developed an affinity for foul language. <laughs> swearing. And I find myself swearing quite frequently. And I think that there is an art form to a well-placed swear word in appropriate contexts. Okay? Thank you. Um, and it's cathartic, but I, I've never realized how much I swear until, and you don't realize how much you swear until you're in situations where you can't or you shouldn't, right? Like, you know, in a community like this where I want people to like me. Um, or when I'm hanging out with my niece and my nephews um, who are from a uh, Christian home and, and do not do that. And, and it wouldn't probably be age appropriate, even though it would be funny. But I, I've made a commitment to myself, my wife and I had, that we are going to watch our language when we hang out with them. And I generally do pretty good. Last week, I took them rock climbing because uh, I'm the funkle. You've heard of that? Anybody, any funkles out here? That's the fun uncle. I've decided that I'm going to be the funkle. And so we went rock climbing, and let me tell you, I came really, really close a lot of times. That was a very stressful situation to try to control my language there. And then um, just yesterday, we were up uh, kind of in your neck of the woods at Rosie Mount. We did some hiking in the snow. It was amazing. I took them with us as well. And we're driving home, and again, I was congratulating myself at how well I have done at controlling my language. And I get on the phone um, Lisa calls, and, and she's on speaker, and I do this because you're supposed to. You say, hey, you're on speaker. The kids are here, right, you know, which should have been a clue. Um, and that lasted all of about 30 seconds before she let loose with a piece of spicy language, and I had to say, hey, hon, yeah, the kids are still in the car with us. So, yeah, uh, my nervousness is that I, I, I've had a kind of a recurring dream since I've been out of ministry, that I was back on stage again. Now, it's not the one where you're on stage in your underwear. I've had that plenty of times through the years. I'm talking about that I'm on stage, and there's a bunch of people from my church past, and that I'm talking for some reason. I don't know what I'm talking about, but that I, I drop like an F-bomb or something on there. And then everybody's like, so like there's been this in the back of my, my head that that's going to come out. But it's either going to be that or a Bible verse. So it's kind of one of the two. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. Title of my talk, Where Do We Go From Here? Or said in our way, what do we do with all of our crap? What do we do with all of our baggage? Because, you know, I already know about you from having some conversations in the pre-talk. I'm sure we'll have some more in the post-talk there, the talk back, that, uh, that we all have different backgrounds. We all have different um, experiences with faith, with spirituality, it's complicated, to say the least, for many of us. Uh, it's incredibly complicated for, for me, and I'm going to just simply share a little bit of, of my story uh, here this morning, and then talk about exactly what it is to we do with a past that we either want to forget about or want to just kind of shove in a box somewhere and, and leave alone. But is there a possibility of reclaiming some of that? Um, as I said, I'm a former pastor that, that deconstructed and later left the faith that I was raised in. 
and uh, my, my family, including my two adult daughters, I have a 22 and a 20-year-old daughter, one's in Colorado, the other's in school here, both of them were raised in the church, both of them were PKs, uh, pastors, kids, so you know that there's a lot of expectation placed upon being a PK, so they understand the unique form of trauma that comes from leaving and starting a new life outside of religion, outside of the religion that you were raised in. My wife and I were both raised um, prior to my ministry days, and this is where we'll do some flyover because this gets pretty dark here, but my both, wife and I were both raised in a high-control uh, religious cult, and it was extraordinarily conservative. We were homeschooled through the Advanced Training Institute of America. It was led by Bill Gothard of the Institute of Basic Life Principles. Some of you may have uh, uh, seen uh, Shiny Happy People, the documentary on, on uh, Amazon. So that was us. That was the, uh, what we were raised in from the time that we were young. So like, what did that look like for us? So you know, rock music was obviously from the devil. That's clearly understood. But that was also including Christian rock music. And so anything with a syncopated beat, really, was something that could make you start to dance. And if you start to dance, you might do other fornicating things. And so you didn't do any of those things. I can laugh about it now, but trust me, as a kid growing up, it was pretty weird. When in 1988, all of your other friends, and, and I say friends because I didn't have friends outside, but people that I would meet who didn't go to church, that it was kind of like going to a zoo and you would see animals behind a glass. So you'd wonder, like, how did they live? What did they do? Did they know they were all dying and going to hell? Um, while in 1988 they're buying Metallica or Def Leppard CDs, I got my very first CD player. I got my CD player and uh, the very first CD that I bought and owned was a collection of a cappella hymns by a group called Glad. I'm a teenage boy listening to a cappella hymns. And I thought I loved it, and I did because that was how we were raised. Um, we were taught to talk a certain way, to dress a certain way. Uh, women were to dress modestly. We uh, used something called a wisdom booklet, which was the curriculum for the way we were taught. And uh, I took some pictures the last time I was uh, home and was flipping through them um, on the different admonitions to women on how to dress appropriately to avoid eye traps and to uh, direct the eyes and all these different things. And, and things that were, were kind of drilled into us from the time that we were young um, have an effect on you through your life. And as a kid, above all, of course, I was afraid of hell. I was afraid of going there. I was afraid of my friends going there, my family. Every time I visited family for holiday situations as a kid. I took that very seriously, all the stuff I had learned. And so it wasn't just simply hanging out with my cousin Jimmy and Felicia. I would hang out with them, and we would go home, and I would feel sad because I said, they're all going to hell. He listens to Michael Jackson for crying out loud. I mean, he's definitely going to hell. And that became an internalized narrative that I carried with me for years. I was afraid of hell. But more, I think, than being afraid of hell, maybe a close second, I was equally afraid of the rapture. Did anybody understand or come from a background where you understand a little bit about the rapture? Okay, you're lucky if you don't. It's a, it's a weird thing, but you get sucked up in the sky um, and all this other stuff. And if you were a Christian, you wanted to be sucked up in the sky because if not, you're stuck in the 
earth for seven years of tribulation. We watched movies that scared the crap out of me as a kid. And so I definitely didn't want to be left behind the name of the book series that maybe some of you have heard of. I didn't want to be left behind, but by the same token, I'm an adolescent, pubescent boy being raised in a purity culture that my greatest fear was that I would be raptured before I could get married and have sex. And so my prayer, because you can't have sex because, you know, it's within marriage, right? So I, I remember having this conflicting emotion. I wanted to be raptured. I really, really did. But, but God, please, can you wait at least until I'm 25 or so? Let me get married. Let me see what this is all about. Spoiler alert, I did get married. I did get to have sex. So I'm, I'm all good in that department. Uh, to the pastor's daughter, no less. Another PK. Uh, our handbook was uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. Some of you may have heard of that book there. Um, so we didn't date. We practiced biblical courtship. I, as a 21-year-old man, I waited a year for my parents' blessing to marry Lisa. Um, at the age of 22, which is how old my daughter is now, and now that my wife and I can kind of look back, we're like, my God, what, what were we thinking? What did we know? We didn't know anything. But you don't know what you don't know, and you learn to give yourself grace for the decisions you made or, or said in our way, I think a friend of mine sent a sticker, I'm sorry for the things I said when I was an evangelical teenager. <laughs> um, I mean, God, the amount of apologies I've had to make for stupid stuff I have said through the years, and this was before I was even pastoring, right? Um, we left that legalistic cult, but we then spent the next 20 years in church ministry, moving further and further to the edges, the fringes of Christianity. I think there was always something within me that was drawn to the fringes, that was drawn to the edges. I've never been content with the status quo, um, as is reflected by my hair, which if you noticed from the picture, I think that went out in the bio, I, I did add a disclaimer, and I said when I was trying to find a picture, I don't have any new pictures of kind of longer hair because it's just I, sometimes I grow it out. I've shaved my hair. I've had a mohawk before, which was fun for a week. I had a mohawk, and walking through Walmart with my wife with my arm around her with a bright orange mohawk was so fun, and she hated it so much. That was when I was a youth pastor, so in my youth pastor days. But suffice to say, I've been all over the place, but I've always been drawn to the fringes, the edges. So my deconstruction happened while I was pastoring a Christian church, which is kind of an odd thing to do. And let me tell you, for any of you who may have deconstructed, if you haven't done it while pastoring a community of people, it's, that adds a whole new layer of complexity to things. Um, in 2015 and 2016, my, my deconstruction really started to kind of take on steam as I started reading more stuff. I remember reading... Uh, Rob Bell, who, of course, we're all familiar with on the west side here, Love Wins. I remember reading Richard Rohr. I remember having a conversation at a pastor's retreat with my wife. We were in the hotel room. I can distinctly remember this. Where admitting to her that I didn't believe in hell 
and her sobbing because that was not that the idea of hell, but these theological tenets that we're taught are a part of our identity and what we do. What does that mean? Because it wasn't enough for me to just, de- I didn't have the luxury of deconstructing at a distance. I was in the middle of it. And I'm asking these questions you're not supposed to ask. And I'm, I'm finding myself more and more in the fringes. And I, I got to the fringes of one denomination that we were in. And right before I got kicked out of that, thankfully, I managed to kind of jump. I had another parachute, if you will, a more inclusive. But even that denomination, even that organization, I began to kind of like ask some, the wrong questions, quote the wrong sources, started to get some emails of like, you do realize that this is someone that within Christian theology is considered a heretic, which was kind of fitting, I think, for, for me. Because like when I was writing like my bio for, for uh, coming out and joining you, I talked about my deconversion, uh, my, de- my deconstruction and deconversion. And, and, and funny enough, uh, my autocorrect on my computer kept wanting to autocorrect deconvert to reconvert. So I, it was like my Mac computer was like evangelistic and was trying to woo me back into the fold. And so then I was trying to, because I hate using, there's nothing worse to a grammar or spelling nerd than having that little red ziggly line underneath. And yeah, you can auto, you can right click on it and say ignore. But like, it bothered me that that was not an agreed upon word because I felt like it should be. So I go Google, you know, and started looking, what's another word for deconvert? And Google returns and says an apostate. I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's it too. Burn me at the stake because I've asked some of those questions. I've started going down some of those places. As a pastor, I was wrestling with that while leading a community. And then I began to have these internal conflicts. How can I lead my community to be more inclusive? And not just in lip service, but to be fully affirming of marginalized communities to be fully affirming. And then as I realized that the questions I was asking in the places I was going would either tank the church, tank my ministry, or both, I began to realize that these were questions and these were things that I needed to deal with, that I had taken the community as far as I could go, but that the, the questions that I was wrestling with and the places I wanted to go weren't, weren't healthy within the context I was in. I was already planning on leaving ministry when some uh, unforeseen circumstances happened. George Floyd happened. January 6th happened. COVID happened. And now I find myself as a pastor leading a community while standing on stage every Sunday and wrestling with these ideas and then wanting to talk about it. And then as I talk about it, I get all this this uh, vitriolic feedback from people who now have identified with a form of Christian nationalism that we see so clearly. And I'm pastoring and I'm wrestling with this and I'm feeling like the last few threads of my faith were coming unraveled. I've often described it as a couple different ways. I use a couple different metaphors to describe deconstruction. And and there is no one-size-fits-all deconstruction. So please understand me. 
There's no, there's no ultimate destination in deconstruction. I describe it as it's a long highway with a lot of exits. And some people get off at some of the earlier exits. Other people take the highway much further and get off way further down. And some people stay at one place for a little and then move on. There is no ultimate destination. You have to be comfortable becoming who you are. But as a pastor leading a comedian, going through COVID, going through all those things, um, I knew it was my time, so I, I stepped down from ministry in March of 2021. Um, I haven't been back in a church of any sort since. And I mentioned I described it like pulling threads on a sweater, and deconstruction for me felt like pulling and pulling and pulling until the, the sweater came unraveled and I'm left with a ball of yarn. But for me, after stepping away from ministry and being able to fully ask the kind of questions I needed to ask, very quickly my, my deconversion or deconstruction turned into a deconversion. And the way I describe that for how it felt to me, which is a much more positive viewpoint of coming unraveled, is it felt like the only way I can describe it is if you've ever purchased one of those memory foam mattresses on some form of online shipper, right? They send it to you in a box that is so incredibly small, and you question when you get the order because you're like, I ordered a king. There's no way that is a king mattress. And then you take it out, and you open it up, and it still looks so small. And then you cut the edges of that thing, and it does what? It goes. It's amazing to watch, isn't it? That is what it felt like for me, to be outside of the church, to be outside of Christianity, to be outside of religion. Finally, all these constrictions that for 40 years of my life had been placed on me, both from others and for myself, okay, because I take responsibility for the things I learned and taught, even though I was simply teaching what I was taught. But, oh my goodness, that feeling of openness, that feeling of, <sighs> I can breathe. So my wife and I have spent the last few years just really spending time working on ourselves, which at the end of the day is the most important and sacred work that we can do, isn't it? I've shared a story with you that can or may apply to some of your situations, or maybe not. But here's the question that I think we want to wrestle with right here, which is where do we go from here? When we stepped down from ministry, when I walked away from the church, I asked that question a lot. What do I do now? I've got years of ministry crammed up here, Years of Bible knowledge, what do I do? I began to realize that there was so much more to do than simply work up here. I re realized that, that as a person who tends to live in my head, an Enneagram 5, for those of you who are familiar with that, even though I'm a four-wing, uh, my, my Enneagram 5-ness has always felt so comfortable living in my head because that was the, the coping mechanism I used being raised as a homeschool kid, excluded from all the things I was. But I began to realize that we're so much more than just 
brains walking around being carried around by our body. We are embodied beings. We are whole beings. My wife and I have spent so much time and growth and therapy and learning and arguing and wrestling with this. It's complex. But as somebody mentioned in our pre-talk, the key is in the reintegration. I, I mentioned on my talk there, Psychonaut, and yeah, there's, there's so many different ways to explore what's inside, right? I, I enjoy pursuing altered states of consciousness because it helps me to discover more about what is underneath the surface, but more importantly than the experience, anybody who's done that knows, is the integration because we know the example. Anyone who goes and looks at his face in a glass and walks away and forgets who he is is a foolish person. It's so easy to take these pieces of information and then just walk away and do nothing. I believe we're called to integrate and to be whole people. What that looks like for me, it looks like taking these pieces of my past, pulling them out of the box that I've stuffed them in, and sitting with it. It means being uncomfortable with sitting in a room that feels like a church and feeling the embodied tension that I carry from being in that kind of a setting, even though you're a wonderful, inclusive environment. It means embracing all the parts of ourselves. And trust me, I'm saying this as someone who is a champion stuffer. I can stuff emotions and bad thoughts and feelings down with the best of them. When I was doing some work in therapy, my therapist was working through an exercise where we were coming up with, because I had a couple of real low moments in my post-ministry days as I was trying to reconstruct my life. And there was a pretty low point where she was working with me in recognizing that not every thought or emotion or feeling need to be recognized or dealt with at the time, that it was okay to allow yourself to have the safe space. And so she said, we're going to do a practice where we just put that, if something comes up, we're going to put it in a box and we're going to put that box on a shelf. She's like, can you do that? Can you imagine that? And I said, let me stop you right there. Have you seen Indiana Jones? And you know how at the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark, when they take the ark and they put it in the box and they hit the, the nails on it? And then remember when the camera pans out and you see that shelf and you see like all those rows of boxes and it just goes on and on and on? I'm like, that's what it's like up here. I have boxes that I didn't even remember putting things in boxes. I've stuffed things down for so long, but that's what happens when we come from a past that has trauma, isn't it? And religious trauma is just as important to address and to deal with. I have this reading that's in our, our bulletin this morning. I'm not necessarily going to get to all of them, but I definitely want to talk through this first one here as we kind of transition. Rumi was a 13th century mystic. Um, by a show of hands, how many of you have read or heard this poem before? Okay, a handful of you. This might be new to a few, but this is this has been around for a while. I can't tell you how many times I have used it, and I've found solace in this reading here called The Guest House by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, 
some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if there are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delights. The dark thoughts, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Your pain has a story to tell you if you will sit and listen to it. Rohr says that all great spirituality is about what we do with our pain. Isn't that the most sacred work that we can do? To both work on the pain and trauma in our own life and to recognize it in the lives of others. Even if we can't understand their lived experience, to recognize that we, we come from a place of hurt and brokenness. But that's also a common agent that connects us. I'm going to ask Spencer to come up as I, I kind of took the liberty of asking them to, uh, to share a song that I believe they've uh, performed in the past. But I, I, I love this song as I listen to it um, repeatedly this week, the Plowshare Prayer, because this song for me, as I heard it, struck some emotional chords deep, deep within me because there was a lot of things that I connected with. And I am a huge fan of music, and so I, I can't think of a better way to kind of conclude this talk than to allow Spencer to kind of lead us in a form of a communal longing, a lament, if you will. Lamenting is just simply naming what is wrong and unjust in the world, but also in a sense of reclaiming that because I think that's what's beautiful about the lyrics to the song, and I, I think Spencer probably has had a few stories of their own that they've had to reclaim and repurpose as part of their story, but that's all of our task, isn't it? Thank you for allowing me to share this little bit this morning, and uh, Spencer, let's, uh, let's enjoy this time together with you. Dear blessed creator, dear mother, dear savior, dear father, dear brother, dear holy other, dear sibling, dear baby, dear patiently waiting, dear sad and confused, dear stuck and abused, dear end of your rope, dear worn out and broke, dear go it alone. Dear running from home, dear righteously angry, forsaken by family, dear jaded and quiet, dear tough and defiant, I
has a sword against you and your heart against you and your word. I pray that this prayer is a plowshare of sorts, that it might break you open, it might help you grow. And I pray that your body gets all that it needs. And if you don't want healing, I just pray for peace. I pray that your burden gets lighter each day. I pray the mean voice in your head goes away. I pray that you honor the grief as it comes. I pray you can feel all the life in your lungs. I pray that if you go all day being brave, that you can go home, go to bed, and I pray you're forgiven. I pray you forgive. I pray you set boundaries and openly live. I pray that you feel you are worth never leaving. I pray that you know I will always believe you. I pray that you're And I pray that this works. Amen on behalf of the last and the least, on behalf of the anxious, depressed, and unseen. Amen for the workers, the hungry, the houseless. Amen for the lonely and recently spouseless. Amen for the queers and our closeted peers. Amen for the bullied who hold in their tears. Amen for the mothers of little black sons. Amen for the kids who grow up scared of guns. And amen for the addicts, the ashamed and hungover. Amen for the calloused, the wise and the sober. And amen for the ones who want life to be over. And amen for the leaders who lose their composure. And amen for the parents who just lost their baby. Amen for the chronically ill and disabled. Amen for the children down at the border. And amen for the victims of our law and order. I pray that your And I pray that this works. I pray if a prayer has been used as a sword against you and your heart against you and your word, I pray that this prayer is the plowshare of sorts.